Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 31. My next guest is Debbie Talbert. So when you talk with Debbie, you feel a lot better about yourself because she has such a warm and accepting energy. And as you will listen, her laugh is contagious. This side of Debbie, however, was hidden for years due to low self-worth, not feeling intelligent and feeling very, very awkward. She believed for many years she was broken, too old, and too late for change. Debbie was recently diagnosed with adult ADHD as well. What she discovered in this process was that she could change her belief, change her perspective, and love life again. Since what she calls breaking up with alcohol, the aches and pains she blamed on aging disappeared. Her energy skyrocketed, her grandkids loved playing with and hanging out with the fun, vivacious grandmother Nona. Debbie now savors the sweetness and saltiness of her life. Her marriage is thriving. She's growing a business, and she loves her, what she calls Flossom Self. Debbie is a podcast host, a certified mindset and alcohol freedom coach, and a baby boomer on a mission to break the stigma she grew up with around ADHD, rethinking alcohol, and aging. Take a listen. (laughs) Hi, Debbie. Happy New Year. Thank you for coming here on my podcast. Ah, Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. uh, This is exciting for me. Awesome. Um, so let's just get started. What was life like before you were alcohol free? <laughs> okay, so life before I was alcohol free, uh, it felt like something to survive, mm-hmm. not something to thrive in. Um, I was sad all the time. I spent a lot of time uh, consuming a lot of alcohol. And then thinking that I was flawed and broken and I, I had messed up everything in my life. At the, I started drinking when I was 18. Mm-hmm. And, but it wasn't, it was very just social up until around my mid-40s. Oh, wow. And then I started to rely on it a lot to cope with life. Because during that time, I, uh, in my, well, I guess it started relying on it more. I guess it was my late 30s. I ended up divorced. I was a single parent two kids, trying to raise them on my own on mm-hmm. $1,200 a month in Miami oh, and yeah. <laughs> going into debt and keeping my credit and all that stuff. And so I started to rely on it more and more to navigate life. Then, then I became, I switched jobs in my forties and I became a flight attendant. Wow. <laughs> and yeah. so when, and it was when I, my 40th year and then that life Drinking is very big in the culture, mm-hmm. in the, you know, crew life culture. And so it became more and more of an everyday routine thing. And um, so then by the time I was 59, which is when I actually stopped, but mm-hmm. by the time I was 59, I was drinking two or three bottles of wine a night. And I was, but I was very high functioning, but it took up a lot of my time. A lot of, which I didn't realize how much time it took, but it took a lot of recovery time. It took a lot of um, mental bandwidth, a lot of energy bandwidth, all of that kind of stuff. But I had, before I was able to become alcohol-free, probably for a decade, I tried things on and off. On and off, different 
programs, a um, couple of AA meetings, but for me personally, none of that stuff resonated because I didn't want to see myself as powerless, diseased, uh -huh. or labeled. And then I felt like then I was going to be powerless in the rest of my life. And I was already feeling powerless enough. Right. So for me, that didn't resonate and didn't work. And I'm not saying sure. or trying to say at all that the program does not work for people. But for me, saying that and thinking that about myself just was not matching. And it just kept, for me, it just made things worse. And it, and, um, it also made it like, well, I'm just not going to look at this now. If I'm going to be powerless anyway, and this feels powerless too, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Just keep drinking. <laughs> right. Because right? there's no choice. <laughs> because, there right. no, because it didn't feel like there was any better side. Sure. Okay. So that's, that's kind of where that was and what happened. And so what? key obstacles did you overcome to get into recovery mode or being alcohol free? Okay. So for me at the time, like, I guess it was about four years into this 10 year struggle of trying to figure it out on and off mm -hmm. doing things. Um, I was also exposed to Abraham Hicks and her methods around law of attraction mm -hmm. and how your thoughts and stuff like that. And then my husband, my amazing husband, Duncan, actually bought me a book, The Law of Attraction, like a little tiny one mm -hmm. by this guy named Mike Rolosier. And the and it's very simple, quick, easy to read. Mm -hmm. And the main thing in there that I picked up on it was when you're complaining about something in your life, then pause yourself and ask yourself, okay, so what do I want instead? Because that switches your brain in a different direction towards what do you want instead of focusing on what you don't want. Right. So that was, I mean, there's way more to the book, but that sure. was like the thing that I just kind of stuck with me. So reframing so the reframing stuff of it. And so the day I'll never forget the day that I was like dressed for work, ready to go. And I'm leave, walking past where we used to keep all the, all the alcohol. And I looked up and I see this like half gallon size no, i don't know i know that's not the size now what it's called <laughs> like 70 milliliter or whatever it is but um i look up and i see that we had just bought that on a friday and i had off friday saturday sunday and it was only like a fourth of an inch of it left and i was the one that had consumed it mm -hmm. and in that moment i was like if i don't figure this out then I am going to lose everything because if every three days I keep drinking that much alcohol, my body's not going to be able to take it. It's just, and I knew that logically. So then I just decided in that moment, I decided, okay, what if I tried this law of attraction thing with alcohol? Wow. What if I just say before each drink, so I didn't try to stop. So I took hundred percent focus off of trying to stop. And I said to myself, okay, what if I asked myself, so what do I want from this? So I did the like, so what do you want thing mm -hmm. with the alcohol? And so what I, to answer your question about what did I overcome, overcame, like I overcame what was blocking me, the beliefs that I thought alcohol was supporting me with, the beliefs of the things that I thought I would, the benefit I was receiving from that that liquid in the glass 
because and so by asking myself that question i then wrote it down i went ahead and did whatever i was gonna do i didn't change how much i consumed or any of that and then the next day i reviewed the results and so i just kept doing that and then it was really literally only three weeks later. And the only reason I know the dates, because I had no idea I was going to be doing what I'm doing in life when I was right. doing that, right? Uh-huh. So I didn't like keep the, I didn't keep the, and it was only like little pieces of paper like this, like uh-huh. post-it notes. It was nothing fancy, nothing. And, um, but I had images of the reason I had that Jameson was because on a trip I had gone to Dublin and had gone to the Jameson factory and experienced it and bought it when I got home from that trip. So I had pictures and knew the date of that trip. Oh, wow. And knew what I decided after that, right? That after that three days of that trip. And then I was going to London and I have dates of those pictures and I wasn't drinking anymore. And that's why I knew it was like only three weeks. That's the only reason I know Wow. That doing it that way for me, and that was the block mm-hmm. that I got past was beliefs. Then I knew I woke up and I was like, okay, I'm done with that. And that was in 2016. And I have literally not had one desire, one thought that has come to my head. Alcohol would be a good idea right now. Wow. That's not very common. <laughs> yeah, I know that. That's amazing. People, right? Now, that doesn't mean, I honestly believe, is that three years of learning about the law of attraction, the personal development, all of the things that I was putting together to make, like, sure, like the puzzle pieces put mm-hmm. together, and then that final thing I did with it just made it all click together for me. Right. It was an accumulation of all this information. And what was the biggest belief that you broke? Because, well, let me rephrase. What are the beliefs that supported your drinking and then doing this, so what do I want now kind of exercise over a period of time? What shifted the belief to what it is now? Okay, so what I believed the most was that it was going to help me in this social situation. Because for me personally, the reason it came into my life at 18 was because I felt socially awkward. Uh Uh-huh. So I consumed a couple, you know, like had a glass of wine or beer, whatever it was. Liquid courage. Farm at the time. It right. was probably booze farm at the time. <laughs> and I noticed right away that that helped me be more social. So in that moment, at that young age of my life, right, my brain decided alcohol is what helps me be more social. Were you? Did you think that you would be more accepted also if you were more social? Yes, and I wouldn't feel as awkward in the social uh-huh. moment. So it helped me with that, what I thought would like avoid that emotion of awkwardness mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. feelingness of awkwardness in social situations. So that's where it began. So one of the biggest obstacles starting at 18 was alcohol makes me feel less awkward and I can be more social. Yes. Mm-hmm. What was the next belief system that you broke <coughs> that was significant <laughs> to you? Um, it was because I also had, because I happened to have ADHD. So I always felt like in my fine family dynamic and growing up that I was the dumb one. Mm. So I wasn't going to be able to figure things out. So by applying what I did, 
I started to notice, okay, this isn't helping really with social. I'm not connecting really with anybody. I don't even remember anything. <laughs> I don't even barely remember. I don't, and I don't remember their names. So how am I going to have like, like, how is this helping me? Mm-hmm. Like, right. It just, the logic started to take place because mm-hmm. I was looking at it without judging what I was doing. So I dropped even focusing on how much did I actually consume at all. Mm-hmm. I really focused on, did this actually give me what I wanted? And so from that mindset, I started to see that it did it. So that helped me retrain my brain that alcohol doesn't really help you in social situations. And my, at the time, my job as a flight attendant, right? It's like you're, you're around new people all the time. When you go, when you go to work, you are literally working with people that you have met, never met before for three days. It's very rare, just the way the schedules are designed and the dynamics of it. It's very rare that you fly with the same people. Oh, interesting. It's but in the base that I was in and that kind of just the flexibility of the schedule and all that kind of stuff. And so um, that part of it, it wasn't that I couldn't go and do my job and engage with passengers because I knew that was my role. That was my task. And even meeting the new people. We all had assigned roles, like you'd sign up and you'd have this assigned role. So you knew what your assigned role was. Mm-hmm. So I could easily do that, even though it was new people. It was the after when their work was over and we're going to go downstairs. You're in a new country, in a new city. You don't know anybody, wow. you don't know anything. You don't want to eat by yourself. So you're going to go with all these five to seven new people that you just met. Wow. And then is when my awkwardness came in. And so again, it was helping me again. Mm-hmm. Right. Even though I wasn't really remembering any of the thing, like, right. So, so it was mm-hmm. like, so it just, by realizing that that really didn't help me. And then the way I went about doing it, because I picked up on, oh, I'm figuring this out myself. It helped with that. You're the dumb one thing. I wasn't the dumb one. I was figuring something out. I was capable of understanding this and making this change or any kind of change. But that was, so the other belief was, uh, I'm socially awkward. So I need alcohol to help me with that. And then the other, the, uh, the other second one is like, oh, well, you're the dumb one. So you can't figure things out. And so the process really worked on both of those things. Absolutely. And, and, and so you've lived with these kinds of beliefs since 18. Right. Well, I think probably from younger, really young, way younger. Sure. But I noticed them or alcohol came in my life when I was 18, because when I was 18, you could drink oh. too, because I'm 65 now. Okay. So, without, <laughs> so back then, way back uh-huh. then, <laughs> right. you could, at 18 in the United States, you could drink. So uh-huh. that, I don't remember when that changed, but anyways, so, and then, so I find it fascinating too, that, so there is still a part of me that I, it's like, oh, but you have to follow certain rules. So I never tried it before I was 18. Oh, interesting. But once I turned 18 and I could, then I did. Right. It was so part of that part of me was, you know, a very much of a rule follower too. Mm -hmm. So did you, as you, as we all age, things happen. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I'm just curious when, when being in recovery as an older adult, basically, instead of being sober in your 20s or something, you actually got sober at 59, right? Right, yeah. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about how that, 
how that shifted for you and what that what that was like in your mind going through this getting older as you're trying to get healthier <laughs> okay so first i don't actually consider myself recovered i consider myself that was something i used to do and now i don't do it okay right and so, so now that, you don't so do what, it right and now that's not something i do mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so it's just um but what i realized what i used what i thought because yeah as our when we hit 40s and 50s there are things that start to happen to our bodies right? oh yeah <laughs> so i started to believe that all the things that were happening to me was because i was aging so like the um focus the lack of focus uh -huh. the forgetting of things now there is that part where menopause does come in there mm -hmm. and it genuinely does impact all that. But I promise you, if you're in that stage and you're forgetting, you go to a room and you forgot what you put there, I promise you that part of your memory comes back. So that's not just the ACE, like it has something to do with what's going on with your hormones. There's something there with that. Sure. So it wasn't, it wasn't really that. So I was already past that by the time I actually stopped, but, um, I still thought cause I was 59. I really thought that the aches and pains in my body, the lack of energy, the um, harder to recall things and harder to remember things was all coming from aging. Mm -hmm. And then how the, um, how I was feeling about life, the like meh feeling <laughs> that I had about life was all coming from aging. What I learned, even by the only the three weeks of having the alcohol, when I let it go, and then about a month later, I started to notice, wait a second, I don't have all those aches and pains anymore. Wait a second, I can actually wake up full of energy and energized. Oh my God, what if none of that had anything to do with age? Wow. That was happening. And so now at 65, I like, I'm retired from the flight attendant job. I did that a couple of years ago, but while I was still flying, I was working on coaching people. And building up a coaching business mm -hmm. I was you know so I was in my I was 60 and I am starting my own business learning how to do a podcast figuring out how to do things on the internet having social media presence in small places but I had it mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and and actually coaching people while I'm working wow and I had the energy to do all of it so that all that stuff I used to think was happening to me, the slowing down of yourself was happening to me because of my age. It was not. That's it was fantastic. happening to me because of what I was putting in my body. And when you discovered that, what was that like for you? It was, I mean, it was kind of like, oh my God, that means I can keep doing anything I want. Right. And it also helped even further as I started to give myself credit. It took a little uh -huh. bit because you have a lot of those years. Yeah. It's not like, okay, because I stopped the alcohol, then instantly all of that thinking I can be social <laughs> and all of that, like, um, oh, you're not the dumb one. It took working on retraining my brain mm -hmm. to realize those things are absolutely not true. And then, and what helps is the internet, right? And the science that you can find oh, and yeah. realizing that we can change our neural pathways and learning how the brain works, how the brain functions. And then even the realization this past year of actually being diagnosed with ADHD, because it was undiagnosed all that time. 
Wow. That realizing, oh, but even with that, I can use tools and figure out how to train my brain instead of buying into the fact that I can't figure this out. That's remarkable in so many ways. And, you know, let's talk about this. You were diagnosed at age what? At 80 with ADHD, 64? 65. 65. Oh, this, oh, yeah, it was in 2022. I got the official diagnosis. Right. I had a suspicion only because my daughter has it and my grandson has it. And it was so I was starting, but I didn't really like research it until I, I have my grandkids come. Oh, so this is another thing I can do. Like, so my grandkids will come to my house and then they, they call me Nona. <laughs> so they'll come for Camp Nona Waka <laughs> and they'll come and stay with me without their parents. Right. And so because my grandson was coming and I'm aware of this, I didn't want my time with him to be spent yelling and mm. spent in a way that I didn't want to show up. So I was doing research on how to, what can I do to help a child with ADHD? And interact then with as them. I was searching it out, mm -hmm. I was starting to realize, oh my God, that's me. Right. Wow. And, I, and I think that look, because my job, I had created a lot of strategies to support and figure things out. But then when I retired altogether and became my own boss and I was the one creating all the schedules, all the plans, no one was telling me any of that stuff. That's when it really started to show up again, right? Where I had to figure out how the strategies. So the, so then I decided to go ahead and officially get diagnosed because I wanted to be able to, if I wanted to get prescribed medication and see what that would look like for me, if it would work or not work. So I do do that. I do take medication, but I don't take it every day. <laughs> like I don't, I didn't take it today. I only take it on days where it's literally projects that are planning and focused oriented. Mm -hmm. And those are the days that I take it. Mm -hmm. The other days I do not. Right. Now what's amazing is, you know, you've had this your whole life. You just didn't know it. And I wonder right. what are your thoughts are about how that might have played or not played into into your drinking? Oh, I think it totally played in my drinking. Because I think not only just the social awkwardness, and that social awkwardness, from what I've now learned about ADHD, mm -hmm. that's a part of it. It's the way the dynamic and how just the, there's, this isn't an ADHD show, so I'm not going to talk all about <laughs> it, but. <laughs> it's like, but it but relates to does, drinking, yes. It totally does, and it turns out there are a lot of people that are self-medicating yes. this with things, whether they choose alcohol or other substances, mm -hmm. people are self-medicating because they have this and many times it's undiagnosed and you're trying to find your own coping skills and coping mechanisms and, and the alcohol doesn't actually really help it, but it, yeah. but ADHD, it turns out one of the things from some of the research I've seen, it doesn't actually hinder it either. Like it happens to be kind of the, a neutral thing for it. Like for whatever reason, like it's, so it's not like it would hinder it or make it worse, but it doesn't actually help it either. You just think it does because you're trying to cope with the awkward because you have the difficulty with the emotional regulation piece. Right. So many times that's why you're relying on the substance is because of emotional regulation. Or deregulation, right? Yeah. Right. And being, not being able to regulate mm -hmm. your emotions or calm your own nervous system or figuring out how to do that. Right, right. And, and what's so curious to me is that, you know, you mentioned about feeling dumb, and I'm wondering, with this diagnosis, where does that belief now reside? 
oh, it's totally gone because now I understand why I felt that way. It wasn't that I was because, and also, but that kind of started to fade a while ago as I kept giving myself credit for, wait a second, look what you did. You made it this thing on online. Look what you did. You created a podcast. Well, look what you did. You're recording them and putting them up yourself, right? So as I started to give myself credit for all the small things that I was doing along my way, that also started to untangle that belief. But it took, it takes letting yourself notice it. Awareness. And small, yeah. and small counts. Mm-hmm. Like, right? Even 10 seconds counts. If we oh, yeah. start practicing that 10 second count, 10 seconds count, then you start to notice what you are doing. And yeah. so then the other piece, though, where uh, the stuff comes in with ADHD, too, is you are low on dopamine. So because you're low on dopamine, you're always looking for it. That's why you're looking for the next shiny object, too. The nice hit, dopamine hit, right? Right. And so by you taking the time to give yourself credit for stuff and even celebrate it. Like, so one of the big things I do is I, like, high-five myself. I snap my fingers. <laughs> I get, Like, if I'm in here, I'm like, yes, me. I'm doing all that stuff. Right? <laughs> and it's because I have learned that that gives me a little bit of a dopamine hit taps into my brain's reward center yes and helps my brain to remember oh we want to repeat this activity because it feels good right and because we like it and we want to repeat it right and so you get reinforced in a healthier way as opposed to seeking alcohol to think that that was your dopamine hit when actually it made you feel worse over time exactly there's stigma for sure and i'd like you to talk a little bit about the stigma not just with being addicted but also getting older, that's a double whammy. What, what are your thoughts about that? I have a lot of thought. I mean, because like, because of all of that, this past year, I rebranded my own podcast. So it was called Exit the Drinking Life. And I still, I did, I had somebody take all of those episodes out and separate it in its own separate podcast. But I also took and rebranded and now I have a podcast called Aging Flipped. And it's literally about breaking the stigma that we have within our own self. So if we are stigmatizing our own self, like me, I was stigmatizing myself, really, Mm -hmm. by believing I was socially awkward, by believing I was the dumb one. And then, of course, as I aged, it also played in there that I didn't, uh, because the biggest part of where was the downfall was the most is once I went across like 45, the closer I got to 50 mm-hmm. and where that 10 year gap started, where I started that big struggle from probably like 49 to 59, mm-hmm. right? It was because of all the messaging I would also give myself about how it was too late. I didn't save enough for retirement. It's too late for me. Life is already half over anyway. What's the point? Yeah. So I was living a lot of that messaging too. So then of course, even when I would try new things, if in a subconscious in the background running the programming is what's the point It's too late for me. I'm too old. You're not going to do it. And people You're, don't. when it gets hard, which it will because, and it's not simply because it's hard per se, it's because it's new and different for you, which is not always hard. <laughs> it's new and different. Right. right? And so it, when things are new and different, it is going to take courage. 
for you to move through that space of where you're until you build up to where you're capable. And then as you start to see that you're capable, you can build up to the confidence that yes, of course I'm doing this. Right? So it's a process. And if you really look at anything in your life where you made a commitment to do something, right? And you knew you wanted to do it, but yet you did because it wasn't there in your life yet. You didn't really know how. You knew it was going to, you maybe not, maybe you didn't use the word courage, but you, it took courage. So if you look at when I made this commitment at whatever age, what kind of courage did that take for me? And then as I design, developed that courage and kept the courage, what did that do to my capability of creating that thing I wanted? And as I increased my capability, what did that do to my confidence? And so if you can take something else in your life where you've finished it already, you can do that same thing here. Let's say if it's coming to like letting this substance go, right? You can do that same thing there. And you can tell you, oh, this takes commitment. It's going to take courage to build up my capability to get to my confidence. And think of it like a circle that you go through in each new step. If you're working with somebody, right? Like, okay, the new step I'm going to tell you to take. I get it. It's going to take your commitment to do it. You're going to need courage. You're going to need to build up your capability and you're going to move into confidence. And you can, the circle that you're doing all along the way. So if you can think of it like a spiral, it's a circle of those things that you're going through. And so your age has nothing to do with that. It doesn't have to. Does. That's right. right. It's when you believe mm-hmm. it's possible for you. And notice I didn't use the word if. I used the word when. Mm-hmm. And that actually happens to be um, for my newer, the new podcast, Aging Flip, the theme song is when you believe anything is possible. Mm-hmm. It's because through coaching, I met the creators of that song. Oh, wow. And they gave me permission to use that song on the podcast. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> so, that's so and they're great. actually the first people of the first one I changed, like they're the first people on the episode. Like, so I have a whole conversation. It's a husband and wife team and they created that song. And, and, but that's literally why I picked the song and then that's, and it's not, we don't hear the lyrics in it. It's just the background. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I forget what that, they would like, they told me what it is, but I forget what it is. Not the lyrics, but the music part, the track, the soundtrack part. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we use, I use that within the podcast. And how empowering was that for you to do all that? It was, it took all of those things. It took commitment. Right. It took courage. It took building up my capability until I got to the confidence. And so all of that and understanding, oh, that's what's happening. It takes away those old beliefs of that you can't figure this out. So if you can open up with curiosity, mm-hmm. compassion and understanding and drop judgment, then you'll be able to trust yourself to figure things out. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> it's not. Because sometimes in my office, especially with the ADHD, my husband's like, oh, yeah, what happened? Like, because I go through it just because, like, even this, I'm excited about doing it. Mm-hmm. But it still is going to take me courage to come here and show up and do it. Right. right? And so my brain is having, doing its thing. <laughs> right. My brain is doing what it does. Right. <laughs> and I'm like telling myself, yeah, yeah, okay, that's normal, though. And I, so I think the key is teaching yourself, oh, this fear is normal. 
-hmm. This awkwardness is normal. This is supposed to be here instead of something has gone wrong because this is showing up. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're showing yourself a lot of grace, you know, and, and courage. And, and for you, what helps you stay courageous? Oh, it's kind of, I have a coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have, um, it's the work I do. So I coach, uh, besides me having a coach, I coach clients privately one-on-one. Mm -hmm. I also run masterminds for solopreneurs with ADHD. Mm -hmm. So then as, if I'm going to help them, I also need to be putting into play in my life the things that are helping me, mm -hmm. right? So that's the part. And then I also have a group, a community-led, like community-empowered learning experience called busy being flossom flossom so that's, yes that's <laughs> all about accepting your flaws and your awesomeness mm -hmm. and so it's and flossom so it's really right and so that, <laughs> so that. that that's why like, <laughs> and so that's not really my word i heard i saw it on a t-shirt on a layover who one cares love it that's <laughs> amazing like, i need to use this word somehow right <laughs> we're so. gonna put it in <laughs> i think that's so great I, so that's what the, that's what keeps me and so even though I am retired from my job at Del at, as a flight attendant, I can't imagine not doing what I'm doing because it gives me energy. Mm -hmm. It fulfills me. It uplifts me. Yes, there are lots of times where my brain has me believing I'm never going to figure it out. I don't want people to think that that's not part of it. Mm -hmm. And the way I kind of describe life is it's sweet. It's salty, and sometimes it actually gets downright lifey. Mm -hmm. And all of that happens. But because I have the tools to help me in those lifey moments, when my brain has me believing something has gone massively wrong, mm -hmm. then I can get out of that cycle way faster. So now when, when things are lifey, Right. Yeah, you know, right. and, and this is this is all in being, you know, alcohol free. You still feel the feels. You still have all oh, these yeah. doubts. It doesn't go away overnight, as you were mentioning. And, and you have to just kind of keep trying. So what do I want? What do I want? And be intentional and mindful, it sounds like, are key. Um, and also, by the way, courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. Right. Oh, right. Totally. <laughs> that means noticing the fear is here and do it and anyway. Doing it anyway. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Right. At any age. Right. That doesn't make any difference. Like, I mean, I watched. Okay, so my grandson, he was eight, so he came over to that when he was here for that camp Nonawaka week, <laughs> and my we have a um, attic, and so my husband had the ladder down, and he's very curious about all things, <laughs> so he wanted to go up to the attic. And because we have it like where there's wood all the way down, so you're not going to fall through. Right. Like my, it's like, so you can, and he wasn't going to go up there by himself. My husband was going to be, my husband was going to be up there. But going up the ladder because it's straight up, I watched him have fear and find his courage to get himself up the ladder. So he was like down there in front of it, and he's like standing there and he's going like this and he's moving his hands and he's like, okay. Yes, I want to see what's up there. Okay, I can do it. 
And then he literally, and then I, so I just stood there and I didn't tell him whether do it, don't do it. Cause I watched what he was doing mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and knew he genuinely wanted to do it. And so he felt all those feels all on his own and got himself to do it anyway. Now he got up to the top, but he didn't actually go and walk around. It's a start. He didn't. Right. Cause he didn't really have the, like, he didn't want to get off that ladder once he had made that part. And then he wanted me to come stand behind him after he started going up. So I did, I still be like whatever, but it was so fascinating to watch him go through that like courage cycle himself. Well, that's a great metaphor for what we're talking about. And also you're not doing this alone. So tell me a little bit how you got support around these new ways of believing and reframing. Um, because I, I think support's important and not whether it's AA or whatever. How did you find support going through this process? Well, actually, when I went through it initially and I did my own thing, I did it that on my own, mm. like just kept doing it myself. But, um, and while I was doing it, because the whole 10 years where my biggest struggle was and trying to really stop and couldn't, it was really like a 10-year journey for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I kept telling myself, if I ever figure this out, I'm going to actually help at least one person. Like I just kept like, I, cause nobody should suffer like these 10 years in this. Right. And so after I did the, what, what I did and because it wasn't anywhere, like it wasn't at all similar to what I'd seen in AA. Mm -hmm. And then I had read a couple other books and I don't even remember the name of them, but it wasn't at all like those either. I started searching, trying to find out why did this work? I don't really Good question. In, <laughs> all right. I don't know what words I put in the search or whatever, mm -hmm. but I, and so as I kept searching and searching, then I came across a book called this naked mind mm -hmm. and it's written by Annie Grace. Right. And she has the science in the book. Like, cause figuring out science is just not my jam. Like, it's not, like I can do all about this thoughts and whatever, but looking right. up the science and the data and all that stuff, right. not my jam. Right. <laughs> so she has that in the book. And then she also has the process, which it's not exactly what I did, but it's very similar. <laughs> and so after I read the book and found the book, then I knew, okay, I can teach it to somebody else because it's true. It does work because what, I figured out was I was working with my brain instead of against it. That is a great point because that's what addiction is all about. It's this push and pull, you know, you do need me, meaning the substance or right. without me, you're going to die. I am your power. I'm your superhero. I'm everything you need. And then I'm nothing to you all at the same time. That's a hard right. one to break. It is. And so it takes, learning kind of how your brain works right and learning how to retrain it and that part comes from the inside it comes from switching around your beliefs yep. before you try to take the action of the behavior mm -hmm. you got to first focus and that's really what i managed to do was i switched my beliefs about the behavior before i tried to stop the behavior Right. You have before to before all the 10 year struggle, mm -hmm. I was trying to stop the behavior first without understanding what you're without thinking. like without changing anything. I believed, mm -hmm. right. I just kept focusing on, I got to just stop this behavior, but I didn't really look at why was I doing it in the first place. 
and I'm just trying to make myself stop. Well, that that was that's known as willpower, and willpower is very fleeting. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's yeah. really why diets don't actually work either. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you can eat whatever it is they're telling you, but if you don't change your beliefs around food itself, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to maintain it. Even if you can stick with how they're telling you to eat for a while to get rid of the extra pounds, if you're not also at the same time working on what you're believing about food in itself, you aren't going to be able to keep that off. Absolutely. Just like emotion regulation kind of stuff, which you're talking about too. You know, Debbie, it's like, I'm anxious. Well, you're not actually anxious. You feel anxious. You don't become the anxious it's not like yeah. Meili is anxious. No, Meili actually experiences anxiety, something like that. So it's some of the changing of wording because then that belief can shift. Because if your belief is, I'm in my 60s and I can't do this, it's too much and I'm too old, then you're right. right. Do you want to be right or do you actually want to be realistic and true? Right, right, because you're really lying to yourself. That's right when you're saying all that, because that's really not true. If you wanted to slow down and learn, it's absolutely possible for you to retrain your brain and to retrain all those beliefs that you have. And that's, and so the way, and and now the other piece of it that I since learned this past year, because last year I worked on all along the year, my main personal thing was to enhance and improve and change the relationship with myself which meant that's not an easy task just so you know <laughs> that's pretty big debbie i'm, I'm just gonna shift my relationship with me it's <laughs> a big deal no, i'm still working on it i didn't do it by myself i joined programs that are specialized in that right but um and all of this was me bringing my body into the experience because your nervous system oh yeah even all these things i know about the thoughts if my nervous system is offline, so to speak, right, all of that stuff I'm trying to think is not going to be happening at because all. Because besides the fact that I have ADHD, the if your nervous system is offline, your cognitive thinking isn't happening. So you have to first calm yourself down. So it was a matter of finding self-soothing mechanisms that were healthy, right? That like weren't the alcohol itself, but more like and so to me right. this. I felt like it was literally the putting on your own oxygen mask first. Like what I used to do all the time. Right. Is that interesting? <laughs> right. The answer it's is right in front of your face, literally. Right. And so it's literally like, so for me, it really works like when I notice I'm offline, and I call it offline. Great. I, I'll first touch my body in some way. So that I, and then bring my brain's attention to wherever I'm touching myself, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. that brings my body into the experience. Then I'm telling myself and breathing at the same time that I am safe. And then I'm also telling myself I'm, I'm supported because technically I am either supported by the floor, the chair, whatever is holding That's me right. up. Literally. I am supported, right? And so if you, and I also, because of the grandparent experience, mm-hmm. I imagine that I am actually soothing my grandbabies when they were infants. Mm. So I'm, so as I'm touching my body, then I'm bringing myself into that kind of a state 
for myself and then telling myself I'm safe. So it's very similar to what I would do for them. Like when they can't, their emotions, their nervous system is literally offline and they're crying and crying and crying after you've fed, done all the things, right? Oh yeah. That's what's happening to them. And so you're, and you're, so you, that's why you're soothing them. You're patting them. So that's why if you can do like the other thing I do is this butterfly thing. Mm-hmm. So you put your thumb and your two thumbs together and then put it on your chest and you just go like this. And you're doing like that and mm-hmm. you're telling yourself that stuff. It's literally like that stuff that your parent did to you when they're doing like this and rocking you back and forth when you're an infant. And that shifts your chemistry in your brain, right? right that then dopamine, your nervous system, oxytocin, all of it. Everything starts, then your nervous system goes back online. Mm-hmm. Then you can do, like, have a thought. And then you can work on that stuff. But until you do that for yourself, and, and you're literally teaching yourself that whatever emotion is going on, and even in that moment, if you're literally soothing yourself enough, you can ask yourself, what is this emotion I'm actually feeling? And or what's that it I'm about? actually experiencing? And then you, if you start to name it, then you can start to teach yourself and your body, because your body has been there all along too. <laughs> By the way. And so your body, <laughs> yeah. right? So your body is having all this energy and these signals and these clues that are coming in. Mm-hmm. That you're not realizing, and you have taught yourself that the only thing that takes care of that is alcohol when you're stuck in that cycle. Right. So then you're needing to like notice it all and teach yourself, oh, wait, what else could take touching myself and breathing and supporting myself and patting myself might actually help me in this moment? Well, I actually know it will help you, but. You, you need to say that, practice tell yourself, like, maybe, what if, kind of thing in the beginning, where, and that's a way that you can calm down your own nervous system. Because it's so no- that's what I kind of learned this whole past year was, because a lot of the stuff I did was about thoughts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I knew that there was a missing piece still. And so that's what I learned how to do is bring my body into the experience and calm my own nervous system. So then that actually, and then on top of that, figuring out that I had the ADHD so that helps with a lot of that stuff. I mean, and they sound simple enough, but I, again, these are things that you have to practice. You get to practice. And and like we were saying in the beginning, so what do I want, right? And yeah. just reframing. And now you're doing the more holistic piece where your body is also a part of the belief system because it's responding to those beliefs because that response is a chemical reaction. And a chemical reaction becomes then an action, which then becomes a behavior. And if you're training, like you keep saying, which I think is great, is you're retraining your brain, which also retrains your nervous system. Right. And then if they're both retrained, then you do not have the desire. And if there is no desire, there's nothing for you to fight against. And now you can focus on... Whatever it is. Yeah. Life, purpose, meaning... Excitement, so grandchildren. All that energy on whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. On something else. So between, now that you've arrived here, between the 49 and 59, you mentioned those to be difficult years because obviously this wasn't happening yet. Mm-hmm. And looking back, what do you think the biggest thing you learned during that period? Hmm. About yourself. 
that any of the things that I had done, they were actually, or experienced even, they were actually lessons and preparation for where I am right now. Like I don't, but myself then wouldn't have been able to see it that way. Mm -hmm. But myself now, that's what I can see. So it wasn't really that any of it was mistakes. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that any of it was wrong things. That it was each ep each thing was lesson and preparation for the future I have now and the future I'm working towards creating. What a beautiful reframe. That, right. But if I didn't have all that, right. I wouldn't be able to be doing what I'm doing. Or you might not even be alive. Right. True. If I kept doing what I was doing, because also by that point, I was, I was also in there. I was, I got to a point where I was, didn't want to live anymore. Hmm. And the only reason I didn't take my own life is because my daughter was pregnant with my first grandchild. So wow. I need, was fighting to stay here to uh -huh. see that. And so that, and so I was really that low. I got that low and it, and it was, and I even, I'm like thinking about it now, I'm getting goosebumps like you can't even, but, right. and so I don't, and I never ever wanted to get that low again. Cause that is, and I'm, that is horrible. And it is, and I, and it's, you know, and that I had, I didn't get out of that by myself. I got help to get out of that, sure. but that was, you know, I did get that low and I did get to that space and I don't ever want to get to that space. Now, since, um, learning about alcohol itself, what it does to the body and the right. brain and the human body, because up until that point in my life, I'd always had probably every three to four months, a kind of a deep depression period. It didn't go deep enough to get suicidal, mm -hmm. but it was pretty deep. Yeah. And where I would isolate a lot, I would still go to work, but I wouldn't socialize. I would just go into my hotel room, lock the door after a trip, then come back out. And then I'd get home and I would just stay home and not social. Like, so I would never leave my house other than go to work. So I was, but I got like, it was, but I noticed it would happen like every three to four months. Well, since the alcohol has been out of my life, that has not happened one time. Mm -hmm. Not any kind of sadness like that. Yes, I have emotions and I have things that don't work out. Sure. And I have sadness. I have anger. I have frustration. I have all of that. But it is not a depressive state mm -hmm. of the of mind that I find myself in. Yeah. And I so I personally find that totally fascinating in this because even all that time that was happening. I had been going to various therapists, various doctors, tried different Prozac, all the different things like that. And that still ha it was still very like cycle. So no doctor said you might want to stop drinking because that's Nobody a depressant. Nobody asked me about it. I mean, they only asked like, do you drink? You're like, yep. <laughs> Yeah, well, and of course, though, <laughs> listen, I got to be honest, too. I would have never said how much I was drinking. Of course anyway. not, but it was, they didn't <laughs> so, ask you how much. They just said, do you? <laughs> right. right. And then even when things weren't working, mm -hmm. they didn't say, well, how much are you actually drinking? And maybe you want to consider not doing that. That right? is that not even on the table. The conversation. Yeah. 
You know, and times have changed. I mean, the, like we mentioned earlier, times are so much different. And now there's the internet and information is so accessible and there's so many different treatments around than any time before. Um, and so people can become much more educated. So it's, you know, it, and it's great to, to hear, you know, that no matter how old you are, there's always room to grow. There's always room to be courageous. There's always room to have fun at any <laughs> age, right? <laughs> like play's a big thing. Exactly. You know, oh, I yeah, work totally, with clients and totally. say, let's play. And you know, no one can see you, but you know, you're very playful, <laughs> you know? But I, I know that's not always been the case for you. You no, know, this- it isn't. Like, but the play came back for me when my grandkids did come. That is one thing that even though I was still drinking when they, when he, when they first came around, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, but play did come back uh -huh. because I was with getting on the floor with them doing it. And that's when I started to experience and notice how important that actually is, mm -hmm. even in adult life. But somehow we get to this where, no, we don't play like, unless we're going to play a game to compete and beat somebody, right? Like, <laughs> right. Or a sport, like, you know right. what I mean? Like a sport, like it's a competitive kind of play, not just a play to just go and play and have joy and fun. Right. Yeah. And that's such a huge piece, you know, and like you were saying, you change your belief, you can do self-soothing techniques, being mindful, but also, you know, you also said credit and credit can also be playful, right? So give yourself mm -hmm. acknowledgement. And I think that's a beautiful way to, to kind of, to know how you've embraced that so beautifully. So let me ask you this. If someone is in similar circumstances in their 50s and 60s, feeling tremendous shame, who, who are parents who are like, I'm a terrible person or a terrible parent because I did all these things, what's the point? Now, mind you, a lot of the, the folks who have experienced this probably started drinking around the same age you did, you know, mm -hmm. 18, 20, so not like short stints. What would you, what are the things that you or somebody would have said to you? What would you share with these folks now? That it's, it makes sense that you would be having these thoughts like this mm -hmm. and that you would be wanting and to judge yourself and to even blame yourself for maybe some of the things that might be happening with your children. Mm -hmm. But the reality is at the time, that was the best coping skill you knew how to use with the skills you had at the moment. And that you can now moving forward, use different skills and you can massively change the relationship with yourself and the relationship with anybody else in your life that you may think has been damaged or harmed in some way because of how you did and what you did and the behaviors that you had that it is never too late to make the change. And yes, it's going to feel at times turbulent, like the middle seat passenger with the, <laughs> with the oxygen mask <laughs> down and the, and the, and the plane going crazy. It is going to feel like that sometimes. And it's okay and it's worth it to get through it because that is simply how life is. And the best gift that you can actually give the other people in your life is making the change for yourself because you never actually know the ripple effect 
they will have for the generations to come because you chose to have the courage to make this change for yourself. Beautiful. And it is courage. Mm -hmm. But see, with courage, you did that beautiful pattern, that circle, you know, of, you know, just commitment and you'll feel more confident. And right, and that's actually that not mine. I learned that at a business seminar, but <laughs> but it's a useful you tool, can, right? Right, you can apply it in anything in life. And if you actually look at it and stop, and like after you've heard it on this episode, right? Mm -hmm. Pause the episode and think about something in your life, and just look: Did this actually happen? In whatever that circumstance was, is that true? Is what she's saying true? Like, don't I believe? Don't necessarily just take my word for it. Right. <laughs> like take your life mm -hmm. and just take it through it and see if that's what actually turned out. And then ask yourself, am I willing to do that again for this circumstance? Beautiful. How can people find you to hear <laughs> yes. more of this and to have to experience more of, of Debbie? All right. So one of the places is on the podcast, Aging Flipped. Mm -hmm. And then the, my website itself is jumpseat, yes, like the seat, the pad, the place didn't <laughs> sit in, <laughs> jumpseatcoaching.com. And then I am also on LinkedIn. That is the main social media that I'm on. I'm not on a lot of the other ones. Um, so those are the, those are the three best places. And uh, on the website, there's ways that if you want to have a conversation with me, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can, I'm happy to have any kind of conversation a genuine coaching session that by the time you leave you will be able to have a different view of what's happening for you <laughs> and at least one action that you can start to take to help you make a change and it's true you are one thing i can say is you're very responsive because i trolled you and tracked you and i'm like i would love to talk to you and you were <laughs> very gracious to speak with me and i just want to give a shout out that I really appreciate knowing you and, and being able to, to talk with you and especially this way that it's such a privilege. Um, so you know how to reach her. What's next for you before we go? Well, this year, my main, main focus is that I do private. So for the alcohols piece, I do private coaching mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Um, my main focus this year is genuinely helping those solopreneurs that have ADHD and helping them see the power of being part of a mastermind, the hive mind effect nice. that they can actually get by being a part of a group. Now, the ones I run, I keep them very small on purpose. Mm -hmm. So it's very, it's only five people at a, in a group uh, for the ADHD ones. I also have another one for solopreneurs that don't have ADHD. And that one has 10 and mm -hmm. or the number of max I'll allow in there is 10. And it's for the five, it's because it matters, but you're also being able to hang out with and be with other people just like yourself mm -hmm. that are also growing themselves and they will help you see when you're in that messy middle mm -hmm. and help you get out of it quicker, but then also a place to go and have a sounding board, right? So, Great. so I have a space outside that's not on social media where you can stay in touch all week long. And then, so that's my main focus for 2023 is that. But then I also do have the busy being flossom, uh -huh. which is kind of the piece that if a person isn't a fit for the mastermind, then I invite them 
to go into that particular piece of it mm -hmm. because that will also help them. And then maybe they can move into being a fit mm -hmm. for the mastermind if they're growing something. Or if you're not, because because I also feel like people at my age, you have, we still have a lot of years to go. But my mother's 85 <laughs> and she's still going and playing tennis and the whole thing, right? So I, we all still, I'm, I still have 20 years, right? At and least I spend my 20 years doing exact doing what I'm doing, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. Like, you know, I don't want to spend it watching something on the television, mm -hmm. right? Or I mean, I'm sure there's many other things I can figure out to do. But I just I like doing this. And I want to do this. Mm -hmm. right? And so I the person that's a solopreneur, I don't want you to feel so solo out there. Mm -hmm. And especially if it's the individual that is similar to myself in the sense that nobody else in your family has ever done a business thing. Mm -hmm. they've all been employees and so you don't have anybody that you can be, have as a sounding board mm -hmm. and so that's my that is my main focus of the masterminds for this year wonderful well i want to wish you a happy new year and thank you again we're going to stay in touch but i appreciate you being here debbie thanks again oh thank you so much it was my pleasure so fun Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast, Fuck Yesterday, Focus on Today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting, and you can find my podcast on Amazon, Apple, and Spotify. Also, you can find me at my website at www.reddoorcc.com. You can email me at mhennon at reddoorcc.com if you're interested in transformational coaching. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.